This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, I'm Lale Arikoglu, and welcome to Women Who Travel. Mother's Day is coming up, which means this week I'm joined by journalist and author Connie Wang to talk about her new book of essays centered around travels with her mother, Ching. And later, we ask for listener dispatches about daughter and mother trips. We're sharing some that reflect how travel can be bonding, healing, life-changing, allow for reflection, and sometimes just be plain good fun. We were getting ready to go to the airport. She did not want to leave. There's a different kind of closeness when you do activities together. When you stay overnight together in a farmhouse in a small town in Japan. Mama, your people are so happy. Here's my adult daughter reaching back for me to give me comfort and guidance, very much like I used to do for her when she was a little girl. It was a beautiful moment. First, though, here's Connie on her book, Oh My Mother. Oh My Mother is a direct translation of a Chinese phrase, well, the Maya. And you say it when you, you want to say something like, oh, my God. It's sort of like an expletive. It's something you say when I describe it in the book as when you're on the cusp of losing it or putting it all together. Not to equate my mother with God, <laughs> although she might get a kick I'm out of sure that. I'm sure her ears have pricked up somewhere <laughs> right now. <laughs> I know. She's like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, travel is just a series, a long, long series of oh, my God moments, right? Or oh, my mother moments. It is just oh, my mother through like just like moments of ecstasy or just like moments of just total despair. The book is centered around Connie and Ching's travels throughout America and Europe. There's plenty of humor born out of their escapades. A little bit more on that later. But the storytelling also touches on bigger themes like family and heritage. One chapter is called Accidental Immigrants. My parents and myself, I was born in mainland China. And during the mid-1980s, mainland China started opening up to the outside world and allowing a lot of their grad students to seek higher education abroad. My dad specifically was part of this like first wave of students who were seeking graduate degrees, master's and PhDs um, in the United States. And the plan was never to kind of like 
always be in the United States. In fact, like at that time, he had never been outside of the country before. Most Chinese people had never been outside of the country before. And so when he went to the United States, my mom decided to come with him. It was a great opportunity. She was like, why not? Like, this is going to be fun. But while they were here, Tiananmen Square and those protests happened. And my dad decided to participate in the parallel protests that were happening in Lincoln, Nebraska, among the like Chinese students who were studying there at the time. And the things that the students were protesting seemed so arresting and appealing to him, freedom of ideas, the critical thinking, you know, not going along with groupthink. And so he protested, his photo was taken. I think it was published on like the fourth page of like the local Lincoln Star newspaper. But somehow a clipping of it got sent anonymously to my grandparents in China. And and that was a sort of threat, basically that like, we have an eye on your son, we know what he's doing. We really cut off the protests in Tiananmen Square. So now what? You know, and so my parents decided for their own safety, for their own opportunities, that they would stay here and took advantage of a green card program the United States had offered because of Tiananmen Square. And then we became naturalized citizens. And so we became accidental immigrants. It was a, the longest trip of their lives. <laughs> Your book is so much a story about you and it's also so much a story about Ching and as a writer I feel like that's such a daunting responsibility to tell the story of someone else through your own words and how did you talk with your mum about writing this book it was like a mutual writing process and ideating process. We were both reading a lot of books during this time, and I was passing along a lot of memoirs to her that were about the immigrant experience. And I thought that like these memoirs might be things that she would identify with and would speak to her. And I think after the third or fourth one, she was like, can you send me something different? Because these are really bumming me out. And I was like, wait, what? I really liked these. And she was like, you know, they're just making me really sad. But I think that and Ching said, it makes sense because all people want to hear about immigrant stories is that we suffer. And that really struck me as, I mean, she was right, right? So many of the books written about the immigrant experience is about resiliency. And part of that is that you have to suffer in order to be resilient. And they were actually highly depressive books. I was like, but don't you see your story as one of suffering? I was like, you have suffered quite a bit. And she was like, yeah, but like, that's like, it's it's an adventure story. She was like, look at how awesome my life has been. Like back in China, my mom was an editor of nonfiction. You know, that's a skill that unfortunately doesn't translate across languages. So she became an accountant when she came to the United States, but she is an editor at heart. And so she was able to teach me a lot of stuff. Like, and I'm a writer, you know, she was able to teach me so much about book publishing. There are stories like family road trips, many endless resort stays earned through a timeshare, and a full week spent as adults at Disney World. There's also different trips to Europe and a Vegas escapade as mother and daughter. When you're going through the editing process together, were there times when you realised the two of you had perceived experiences, trips, days differently if one of you thought it was a good day and the other thought it was a bad day or just how much did your shared experiences actually kind of line up we didn't 
disagree about the main major takeaways of what happened. Like if there was a fight, it was for these reasons. If there was some sort of like epiphany, it was the same sort of like takeaways that we had had. How would you describe your travel dynamic together? And how has it changed? The travel dynamic that I share with Ching is probably the most intense version of our relationship. So when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's devastating. But we both like to pack it all in. We are not sort of like the laissez-faire, sort of like a come what may sort of traveler. We love to schedule things. This sort of notes app that I have before we embark on anything is, is chock full of stuff. We plan it all to the hour. So Traveling with us, if you're an interloper or a third party or third wheel, might not be very fun. Ching and I are sort of masochists when we like to travel. So we like to tread off the beaten path, but we also obviously go to all of the major tourist destinations too, because I have friends who don't like to do those things. They like to kind of replicate their day-to-day lives in a foreign setting, but that's not Ching and I. So like by the end of usually every single travel day, we've logged like 20,000 steps. We can barely move a muscle and we fall asleep, like literally as soon as we change into root pajamas at night. But that's the way we like to do it. We like to come home feeling like delirious and completely exhausted, but totally happy too. When you said that you're masochists, elaborate a little bit. We won't inadvertently put ourselves in danger or harm's way. But I think personally speaking that like, traveling with the expectation that you're going to feel nothing. It's going to be like a a very soft, uh, cozy blanket of an experience. doesn't necessarily lead to the most rewarding experiences. And so that's what I mean by being a masochist. We don't travel to seek out pain, but we expect it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Obsessed with that. I think you need it on a bumper sticker. After the break... Connie recounts the time she and Ching attended Magic Mike live in Vegas. The one thing I could see in the audience was my mom. She was like standing up and like videotaping the entire experience. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. There's so many humorous moments in the book and sort of just like charming 
moments. One of which that comes immediately to mind is your trip to Vegas together, which from what I gather was not necessarily something you'd envisioned for the two of you to do together. And yet you found yourself at the Vegas Magic Mike show. Magic Mike is her favorite movie, or let me go back. Magic Mike 2 is her favorite movie. She likes the first one okay, but what she really likes is the second one, which is really just like a good fun time, right? However many hours, two hours of just like pure entertainment. And so she's seen that movie so many times by herself, with friends, like in the theater multiple times at home. So when I found out that Magic Mike was coming together with this like live male review of Magic Mike. I was like, oh my God, Evelyn, I should tell my mother. Do I want to go with her? But if I go with her, this is probably going to be like, let me throw it out. There's no chance she's going to say yes. And she said yes immediately. And we found ourselves there. I really did not think through what it would mean to go see a male review with your mom. And to be clear, we don't have that kind of relationship. I think that there are some like mothers, daughters out there where like that is kind of normal. It is not normal for us. So I uh, disassociated for a large part of that show, just completely was just floating above my body was like, I can't believe I'm here. And in fact, I'm not going to be here really. And it culminated in probably my worst nightmare, which was being pulled up on stage to be part of an act. If you're familiar with the movie, there's a lot of acrobatics involved, right? And I just remember thinking like, there's just no way those are regular audience members. We both do wear dresses, but we kind of wanted to wear like this pants sort of outfit to the thing. And apparently that is the one tell for Magic Mike producers. I had to sit on someone's lap while they drummed, like like a drum solo. Which I was like, okay, at least at least there's not much movement, right? I don't have to do much. But it's like, I couldn't see anything because my little head is popping over his shoulder, right? And all I can see is like my right foot just like jiggling in the air and then the audience. And I have no idea what's happening. Like It's like we're on a spinning little turnstile and I'm just like trying to make... What kind of face? I have no idea what face I was making. I was trying not to cry. But the the one thing I could see in the audience was my mom. She was like standing up and like videotaping the entire experience, which is also not okay. We're not supposed to tape anything, but luckily for the Magic Mike producers, that footage has not gone anywhere except for to my friends. She's shown all my friends. I will never watch this thing. I love the mental picture I have of of Ching standing up in the crowd as though you're in like a school play. Oh yeah, so filming proud, it. just beaming. So proud. <laughs> um, I'm really interested to know why she loves Magic Mike so much and why that was actually so important for her to go there because, you know, it's male strippers, it's ostentatious, it's silly, but it sounds like there's kind of more to it than that, at least for Ching. Yeah. I think the one storyline that really spoke to her in the second movie was Andy McDowell's storyline. And in the movie, she is a woman who is a bit older, who says this line of, of something that, that the women of her age just are become invisible. My mom, my, she said something that was like, do you think that like Channing Tatum likes older women? Or like, <laughs> do you think that that is like something that he thinks like that he wanted to put in the movie? I think that's what my mom really likes about Magic Mike. She also doesn't see it as like sort of like a titillating film she like likes it for the plot which is dubious 
I love it. And I guess packing advice if you're heading to Vegas to go to Magic Mike. Depending on whether you want to be on stage pants. or not. Yeah. Unless or, you want to be on a revolving drum station. Yeah. Which I guess we leave it to it's the discerning you. listener. Speaking of discerning listeners, we asked for stories of mother-daughter trips. And you more than delivered. Here's a listener who was finally able to return to the Philippines, her homeland, with her daughter. Her goal was for them to share the powerful experience of the annual Sinologue procession, which she herself had loved as a child. Hi, everyone. I'm Sinel, and I am a mother and immigrant mother, to be exact, to an 11-year-old who is an athlete but also has a physical disability. Um, has a hip and leg condition that can often make travel limited or challenging. But recently, nearing the 20-year mark of my exile in the United States, we decided to go to the central part of the Philippines. And of course, this trip involved a lot of swimming, which is good for both of us, but also involved some walking, which is not always the most appropriate activity for her energy levels and just her physical abilities. One of the big highlights of this 20-year homecoming for me, stuck in the United States for better or worse because I was undocumented for a good portion of my life here, was the Sinulog Festival, which is a celebration, a 300-year-old celebration of the merging of Catholicism and Philippine tribal animism. And the most ubiquitous image during festival season is that of the baby Jesus with brown skin adorned in red or brightly colored robes with a golden crown. And everyone walks around town carrying around this little baby Jesus. I'm carrying around my baby. I wanted her to experience this because out of everything that happened to me as a child in the rough childhood that I had in the Philippines that led to my transnational adoption later on, the Sinulog Festival was one of very few happy memories I had and I wanted to go back to it and take her to the grandeur and the ostentation and the color and the barefoot dancing <laughs> and just the abundance of, of food and singing and people. At the end of our trip, after you know, we had put away our feather crowns and our floral print skirts and the t-shirts we had cut up and braided ourselves. You know, we were getting ready to go to the airport. She did not want to leave. And of course, I started to cry and she started to cry. And I asked her, you know, why don't you want to leave? And she said, because mama, your people are so happy. And I think that was exactly what I wanted her to experience. How happy Filipinos are, uh, no matter what. Before we hear from Connie about her trip to Paris with Ching, here's a listener who took her mum to some of the popular gardens in France and England. 
Hi, my name is Laurie, and in May 2019, I took my mom on a trip to Paris and London. She is a manic gardener, so I used gardens as a theme for this trip. She also loves art, history, and nature in general. I built the trip around when we could get tickets to tour Prince Charles's, now King Charles, gardens at Highgrove. That proved a little tricky because I prefer to book trips way in advance, but we made it work. We spent four days in Paris, two days in the Cotswolds in England, and two days in London. Musical Fountains Day at Versailles, Claude Monet's gardens and house at Giverny, Luxembourg and Tuileries in Paris, Sky Garden and a stroll through Green Park in London, and of course, the marvelous gardens at Highgrove near Tetbury in England. We also took in the raptor demonstration at the Cotswolds Falconry Center. Highly recommend it. We packed in the activities, but my mom can't sit still, so it worked for her. It really was a perfect mother-daughter trip. Coming up, Connie talks wardrobe malfunctions with Ching in Paris. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshveg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story, is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions, and they make you see the scene. But every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned that you plan your outfits for these trips quite diligently and you went to Paris together. And I think there's a problematic pair of flip-flops that Mm -hmm. become a tension point. Is that correct? That's right. That is. Well, before I talk about my stupidly strict packing list, a little bit of context. I, for many years at work, I would go on these epic work trips that would take me to four to five countries for months at a time. And we had to travel really light because of all of the filming equipment that we also had to bring with us. And then also because I was going to be captured on camera, I had to be very, very smart and selective with my outfits. And then on top of that, I also attended a lot of fashion weeks, international fashion weeks for many years in which like packing is like a sport. Like you can only wear one outfit per day because you're going to get photographed. And sometimes there's different brands that you have to like make sure you're representing because the client relationships, it's 3D chess or 4D chess. I'm not sure. I never bring more than three pairs of shoes to any location. And the rule about these shoes is that they have to be shoes you've worn a lot about, like worn before, that are tried and true, reliable, You, they will not give you blisters. I did not tell this to Ching, and she brought more than three pairs of shoes. And her favorite shoes that she brought were just like very, very new, like fresh out of the box. She had never 
put them on before. And on day one, during one of our 15 to 20,000 step stays, she like, you know, she destroyed her feet. And the only other viable pair of shoes she could wear for the rest of the trip were until the blisters healed. And they were some of the gnarliest blisters I've ever seen before. These were not like normal blisters. They were like fruit-sized. Like, <laughs> it was disgusting. Also, props um, to Ching, because it means that she probably was suffering in silence for a long time before the fruit-sized blisters broke her. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, silence and, and uh, non-silent, too. She was very vocal about these blisters as well. <laughs> This trip was in the early spring, so parts of it were very cold. And we were in Paris, which is, at least for her, a fashion mecca. And she had these like beautiful outfits with just like coordinated layers of jackets and coats and sweaters and scarves. And then these horrendous flip-flops that she thought she was only gonna be wearing inside of the hotel room as like house slippers. These poor rubber flip-flops that we walked everywhere in and uh, they really, really ruined her, her mood. <laughs> in her outfit. Devastating. It was devastating. I mean, they also slap in so, I mean, and, and I'm using <laughs> the word slap in like the actual sense of it, not like it slaps. Like you can um, hear her coming. Oh, you can absolutely hear her coming. And <laughs> Paris is just a lot of marble floors, you know? And just like, flap, 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 flap. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's so much of those sorts of things that end up sort of bonding you on a trip. As you get to know your mother in new ways, as you get older through these experiences, you see her becoming this whole person, right? She's Ching. She's not just your mom. And that's something I can really relate to with my own mother. So thank you for coming on and being so like generous with your time and your stories. Of course. Yeah, it's been so nice. So fun. I've talked about it on this podcast before. I loved visiting Japan back in 2018. It's a place I think about and talk about often. And it was the sort of trip that I really wish I could do again, and maybe this time share with my mum, much like this listener did. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I went to Japan with my mom in October 2022. She's 81 years old, and my sister also went with us. So it was both of the daughters and my mom. Japan has always been on my bucket list, and it's been on my sister's bucket list, too. And my mom, as she's been getting older, is saying, like, let's do one more big trip. Well, obviously, the big cities are fantastic, but we went out to a small town northwest of Tokyo called Chino, C-H-I-N-O, Chino. And it's a very small town, a mountainous town. And as part of our time there, we went to a tiny little family's tofu kitchen and we made tofu together we all sat with the man who owns the uh, factory and the business and his family and we all had all sorts of tofu dishes fried tofu tofu soup tofu with this and that it was incredible me i've never eaten so much tofu in my life and it was just you know when you get that one-on-one contact with people who live in Japan and, and not just tour people. It's a whole different experience. You know, when you, when you get together and you like have dinner at home for birthdays or whatever, 
you develop a closeness, but there's a different kind of closeness when you do activities together, when you stay overnight together in a farmhouse in a small town in Japan. You develop a bond and you have different experiences. When you travel with an 81-year-old woman, you're going to travel a little slower, more so than I'm used to. I think there are a lot of benefits to traveling slower. The way I've always done it is to just go, 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 see everything, pack it all in. But with my mom, you can't travel like that. For example, we were in downtown Tokyo, and there's a beautiful park in the middle of the city, sort of like Central Park in New York. And I probably wouldn't have gone there, but with my mom, like we walked through it really slowly and we're watching the butterflies fly around and just sort of, you had a moment to just sort of take it all in. My name is Diane. And my daughter and I recently returned from a trip to Ireland this spring. Five years ago, my husband died of multiple myeloma. I was 52 years old and he was 58. And this summer, I turned 58 and it became clear to me that if I was going to travel, this was the time, like I did not want to run out of time. I chose Ireland as my first trip It has always been of huge importance to me to go. My family heritage is Irish. One of our best memories from the trip to Ireland was when we went to Newgrange. Um, Newgrange is an ancient temple mound. When we first went into the tomb, we were told by the tour guide that there was a, you know, if you were predisposed to claustrophobia, that you might want to go in last so that you could get out quickly. Well, that gave me pause, and my daughter wanted to be sure that I wanted to go into it, and I did. Um, But as we were walking through this very, very tight entryway, she reached back to grab my hand. And even underground, I was struck by the role reversal. Here's my adult daughter reaching back for me to give me comfort and guidance, very much like I used to do for her when she was a little girl. It was a beautiful moment. Thanks for listening. We're taking a two-week break, and we'll be back in June with a brand new episode all about the beauty industry in South Korea. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and you can find me, as always, on Instagram at Lale Hanna, and follow along with Women Who Travel on Instagram at Women Who Travel. You can also join the conversation in our Facebook group. Alison Leighton Brown is our composer, Jennifer Nelson is our engineer, Jude Kampfner from Corporation for Independent Media is our producer. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. 
we've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.